American Social History Podcasts are a production of the American Social History Project, Center for Media and Learning at the City University of New York Graduate Center. This talk was given to New York City teachers as part of a professional development seminar. I want then to turn uh, to this man, David Ruggles, uh, born in Old Lyme, Connecticut in uh, March 15, 1810, dies in Florence, Massachusetts, just outside of Northampton on December 16, 1849, a short life a, in which he uh, works as a, uh, an abolitionist, a printer, a journalist, an editor, conductor on the Underground Railroad, a uh, mentor to Frederick Douglass, William Cooper Nell, James W.C. Pennington, Samuel Ringgold Ward, a lot of other black activists. I mean, this man really shows these younger men a, a pathway, okay, and eventually a hydrotherapist, okay, someone who believes in the water cure and always smirking. This is serious stuff. Okay, um, so uh, he's somebody who really packs a lot in, and I, what I can, I'm going to argue with you in the next few, uh, few minutes is that not only does he involve abolitionism and into slavery, a major reform movement, but also temperance, the women's movement, schools, okay, the power of the press and print media, okay, religious reform, and ultimately medical and food reforms. Okay. So um, let me move on then to his, his story. Okay. Uh, so he's born in Norwich. Uh, his family lives in this tiny plot, which you can see up there the, uh, at the top of the, uh, the, of the, uh, the triangle pyramid. Okay. It's, it's really not much bigger, say, than from here to this lady over here. Okay. Eight members of the family were living there. Uh, his mother, Nancy, was a leading caterer, a, uh, a devout Methodist. She was a member of the church, who re a black member who refused to sit in what we'll call the Negro pew. Okay? And this was a, uh, a device by which black members of the congregation, enslaved or otherwise, would have to sit way up in there, in the back, out of sight of the rest of the parishioners, okay? uh, and therefore uh, really not engaging the service. She refused to, she would sit right down front. Uh, his father, David, was a blacksmith, a woodcutter, apparently had somewhat of a drinking problem. Okay. Um, David is a, a frisky fellow. He first go. let me go through his school years. Okay. Um, he lives in Bean Hill, which is a suburb of Norwich. The family moves there when he was about three. Okay. Samuel Huntington, who is the governor of Connecticut, lives a few doors away. Okay. There are a number of elite figures of Connecticut life who are within the neighborhood. Okay. So, he, he, through his mother and through his own activities, learns very easily to work with prominent whites okay, uh, and to be treated by them with some degree of respect. Okay, one of the people who uh, teaches him is this Lydia Huntley Sigourney, who was a leading uh, women's writer about domestic affairs, poetry, belle lettres uh, in uh, the antebellum period. And she recalled teaching uh, in the charity school uh, she does so rather condescendingly, okay? but it's, a, it's an area which Ruggles excels. Okay, now, um, this is uh, a quote from the Ladies' Repository, kind of a ladies' home journal, if you will, for 
period 1840-1876. Okay, uh, and this gives us, unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that drives you crazy, this came online after I'd done the book. So uh, maybe when I do the paperback, I'll get, a little, get, get this in there because it's so valuable. It's also a means by which we can take uh, racist documents and use them for our own uh, purposes. Okay, uh, and so here he's referred to as Dave, the smartest black we've ever acquainted with. Okay, talks about his time as a wealthy gentleman, as a houseboy, a waiter, a coachman, errand boy. Okay, that he had had what David Levering Lewis talks about in his marvelous biographies of W.B. Du Bois, the near miss that many young black men face. Okay, that at some point in their youth, they will get in trouble with the law, and either they will survive, as Du Bois, of course, did, or Ruggles in this light, or they'll be sent to penitentiary. This is a time when people could be sent to jail for 10 years uh, for stealing a horse, which is something that Ruggles does. Okay? Uh, he gets engaged, uh, get involved with a neighbor, neighbor by the way named Caesar Reynolds. Okay? Uh, and Caesar Reynolds uh, continues in his life of crime. Ruggles is able to, uh, his family is able to purchase um, uh, uh, forgiveness. Okay? Caesar Reynolds is not. He goes off to state prison and eventually is hung. Uh, we know about this through his execution sermon, uh, which was published at the time of his uh, hanging in 1833. All, what, what is going on here is, is that uh, a minister or some other amanuensis would take down the last words of the condemned, especially the point at which they you know, get on their knees and beg for forgiveness, hoping they'll get into heaven. Okay, uh, and then sell it right at the at the execution. So that's how we have this, this document. But I think we'll also look a little bit below that, in which Ruggles now is advanced from the charity school into the district school. Uh, he's reading in the highest classes, pursuing the highest branches of study, proficient in arithmetic, geography, grammar, and even Latin. Okay. So there was a tutor who had been at uh, Yale College and knew something of that. Okay. He's also um, a leader of all the boys in all sports, mischiefs, and scrapes. Okay? Uh, and so, and this is, it goes on, I'm going to stop it there. He talks about how they uh, uh, had a charivari against one of the local tithing men. Okay? There's also an instance in which he, in a school, at school, uh, after having made himself obnoxious to the teacher, uh, the uh, instructor then ties Ruggles up to the wall with one leg going up to about here. Okay? It keeps him in this torturous position for some time okay? uh, until his classmates pass around a buoy knife and then someone comes up and, and cuts it down and Ruggles uh, then uh, walks like a drunken man out of, out of, out of, out of the, the, the classroom. Okay? So he's well-educated but rambunctious. Okay? Someone with a lot of potential but also someone who is filled with resentment and inclined towards even dangerous uh, mischief. It's for that reason that his family probably did not keep him. He's the namesake. The likelihood is he would have built upon Nancy's connections at the very least, stayed in Norwich, perhaps opened a small shop, been some kind of a craftsman, but first he becomes a mariner and then he moves into New York City 
operates a grocery shop uh, at Cortland Street, where there's a big corporate building now. I can't remember which one, but it's enormous. But at the corner of Cortland and Broadway, and spends a lot of time in the Five Points. Now, this is exactly what middle-class reformers are upset about. Okay, because you can see in this image people milling around the streets, races mixing freely, women, young women out there without any uh, uh, accompaniment, okay? crowded uh, buildings, a lot of alcohol for sale, especially these groceries. These are nothing more than uh, than, 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 than taverns. Okay? Uh, disorder, okay? uh, drinking, dancing, gambling, all of these things are happening, the five points. We know about this because there's a book of Bacchanalias uh, at the American Antiquarian Society um, that uh, Ruggles autographed when he owned it. Okay? So just as you might put your own name in a book, so he did back in the 1820s. So he's part of this. In his um, uh, advertisements published in Freedom's Journal, okay, he, had, he talks about the goods that are for sale, Goshen butter okay, and cheeses, uh, sugars, all made with free produce. It's very important. None of this comes from slavery. But he also sells alcohol. The uh, advice of this man, Samuel Eli Cornish, a Presbyterian minister, a missionary, an alliance, Ruggles' alliance with him, Cornish convinces him to give up the sale of alcohol. So we, Cornish is uh, working, this, this is his newspaper, it's the first black newspaper in the country. A, uh, Ruggles advertises in it. A, Cornish talks about how important it is that, that Ruggles has given up the sale of alcohol. So. Cornish talks a lot about uh, anti-slavery in here. He lauds prominent blacks, uses Bishop Gregoire, Henri Gregoire's method of naming black contributors. Okay. Uh, it's a, a, a good general interest newspaper for the African-American community in New York. Okay. It's also where David uh, Walker publishes first his famous appeal, which we'll talk about in just a couple of minutes. Okay. So this is a exa good example of, of, of black print journalism and a place in which the reforms of anti-slavery, temperance, free produce, all will be part of the general discourse. Okay? And Ruggles will benefit from this. He operates that grocery for about six years. At one point it's burned down, but his connections back in um, uh, Connecticut allow him to, to rebuild it, he begins to hire fugitive slaves, such as Samuel Ringgold Ward, a, a fascinating person, later becomes a very prominent congregational minister in upstate New York, a uh, missionary to Canada and also to, to England. Okay. Someone of great prominence, he starts off, he and his brothers start off working as clerks in Ruggles' grocery shop. Okay. Uh, so within this, there are, there are, these are heady times. Here's Walker's Appeal, okay, uh, which is one of the most uh, important works of literature from this period. Walker argues in this uh, that blacks have a duty uh, to resist their oppressors, to use violence if necessary. He argues, and this is a reform measure too, that black ignorance is a key obstacle to the united fight against racial injustice. That too many blacks are spending their time around the five points, 
drinking and dancing and gambling, smoking. Okay? And they should be paying attention to the fight against slavery. Indeed, he introduces the idea that if you're going to be a black man, then you must be anti-slavery. You must be willing to fight against the slaveocracy. Okay? He attacks the American Colonization Society in this. He also has an extended argument with Thomas Jefferson, whose notes in the state of Virginia argues that blacks are inferior. And tellingly, he speaks, Walker's a devout Christian, speaks against white ministers who defend slavery. And Ruggles is going to pick up a number of these themes. And she, he argues, Walker does, that enslaved blacks have a God-given obligation to combat slavery kill or be killed. Right? So he's really throwing down the gauntlet. Right? As slavery's power economically, socially, and politically grows in this period, right? men like Walker are coming up with stronger solutions for how to deal with that. Right? Without that willingness to fight with one's life, with one's manliness against slavery, Blacks could not receive God's full approbation. Their oppressors could not be defeated. Can you imagine the impact on this of a, uh, on a 19-year-old uh, fledgling uh, journalist, abolitionist like David Ruggles? His power must have been immense. Right? And similarly, Nat Turner's rebellion two years later in Virginia, okay, uh, which affects the destiny of Virginia's plans for gradual emancipation, but also convinces the South that it must be much more vigilant against black uprisings. It must cut down on black education, you know, curtail black churches, uh, push free blacks out, put, give them even more uh, uh, hindrances to their lives than they had before. Okay? Um, so these are the kind of things that uh, Ruggles is reading about in the newspapers, reading about in the Liberator, published by this man, a former colonizationist, okay, William Lloyd Garrison, uh, who argues for the immediate end of slavery through moral suasion, that you can convince the other person of the error of their ways, to make them understand that slavery is deeply evil and that one cannot be a good Christian and own slaves. This is a notion that had been around since the mid-18th century. The Society of Friends were among the original promulgators of it. Okay. Uh, but Garrison then brings it into national attention. 80% of his subscribers are African-American. Okay. So they're behind him fully in thought and also in more tangible means, their money. Okay. And he speaks openly to them. This is a growing part of what will become America's first great civil rights movement. Okay. Um, so he, he believes that in immediatism, moral suasion, okay, and the ceaseless fight against slavery. A bit more practical, but highly evangelical, is this half of the Tappan brothers from Northampton, Massachusetts, moving down to New York City to expand uh, their highly profitable <coughs> silk business. Uh, and also to develop a system of credit checks, which leads to Dun & Bradstreet, to all of those credit reports you have to deal with constantly. Lewis Tappan, he's also the money bags of the movement. Okay? And so the efforts that, uh, that Ruggles will make in his own writings 
his own agency, and Ruggles becomes a traveling agent for both the liberator and the emancipator, which takes him out into the countryside. It's an extraordinary scene at one point. Uh, this kind of activity, again, is based upon the itinerants of the gospel who are going out on the, for decades. It's a very tough life. Uh, one of my favorite Colgate graduates is a guy named Abel Brown, who um, preached against slavery, uh, against abuse of animals, Form I really have not talked about. He was, uh, he was very much against uh, how masters would treat their horses. Uh, and so he winds up in western Pennsylvania on one of his tours, uh, and one of the local gentry is so angered by his denunciation of mistreatment of animals that he takes a horse whip and whips Brown. Okay. Imagine that. Just right in the town square, he lashes him about 30, 40 times. Okay. Brown forgives him publicly. He says, you know, I, I take upon myself what you have done. Okay. And then keeps on moving. It's a very hard life. Eventually, Abel Brown, who didn't graduate from what was then called Madison Institute, but which is now Colgate, uh, winds up, and it's the kind of hazards that Ruggles would face, okay, without a home in the middle of a terrible snowstorm. So he literally has to stand under a tree in the midst of this massive snowstorm, he develops pleurisy and dies uh, at the age of 34. Actually, somewhat an advanced age for many of these itinerants. A similar instance, uh, Ruggles uh, is in a stagecoach in western Massachusetts uh, with a couple of women and a proponent of the Colonization Society. And now the talk then becomes what to do about slavery. Okay, and the colonizationist argues that the abolitionists, men like Garrison and Tappan, are all wrong, and this is another very important theme to consider about all this, because they, this will promote, promote amalgamation or the unnatural mixture of the two races when people fall in love. Okay, um, and so therefore the abolitionists are leading the rest of us down a very dangerous road. And, he, and Ruggles get into a conversation and uh, the, uh, the ACS guy asks Ruggles, of course, what is the, the, uh, the, the telling question, uh, would you marry a black woman? And Ruggles says, well, all right, no, I don't choose to any, marry anybody, but if I were to marry, I would prefer to marry a black woman. Now, it's dark. Okay? He couldn't see what Ruggles looked like. Okay? Uh, the, oh, there, were, there were also curtains within the stage, so you know, it was, he really didn't know. Uh, the identity of the, of, the, of the person he was talking to. Okay. So Ruggles says, I prefer to marry a black woman. The man's just appalled by this. He can't believe his ears. Okay. Uh, and then eventually in the morning, when he learns Ruggles' true identity, he's very angry, feels he's been tricked. Uh, but Ruggles, in another instance, could have been beaten. Okay. And this one he was not. But it's, it's a rather remarkable moment in which you see the exchanges he has with, with, with these kind of people. Okay. Um, Around Garrison, and I want to emphasize this, are a number of young men like himself. This is Charles B. Ray, uh, a black minister, who will also join Ruggles in the creation of the Committee of Vigilance. Ward, whom I mentioned just a couple of moments ago, who will become a very prominent congregational minister later on. And Henry Highland Garnett, who is also a friend of Ruggles, 
uh, who will become one of the most important black leaders in the 1850s and 1860s, and the man who ultimately will uh, uh, help the Union League provide for those who suffer from the, 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 the draft riots. I argue simply that this is a younger generation, okay, uh, which is surpassing people like Peter Williams Jr., a great New Yorker, okay, whose father fought for the Patriot side in the American Revolution. Williams had been a, uh, a part of the Methodist classes uh, in the 18, 1790s. He's the first black man to be ordained by the Episcopalian Church. He's the found, one of the founders of St. Philip's Church uptown. A very, very good saintly man. A, someone who's always willing to help out, letters of recommendation, tr uh, conduit for money. A, during the anti-black riots of 1834, when mobs inspired by the ACS and by the Democratic newspapers roamed through the five fifth and sixth wards, burning black houses, burning the color orphan asylum, burning St. Phillips, uh, burning uh, 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 one of the Tappan brothers' homes. Okay. Williams is ordered by his bishop, a man named Onderdunk, to leave the movement because the movement is causing these kinds of, uh, of, of riots, literally blaming the victim. Okay. Williams acquiesces. Uh, and a lot of people are very critical of him for that. You know, here he shouldn't he have taken a stand. But I, I'm convinced by the, the recent book by Craig Townsend, who is a uh, an Episcopalian cleric up on Madison Avenue, really fine book in which he argues that Williams is really working within a religious system. That in some ways, holding that position was more important uh, than his involvement in the in the uh, abolitionist movement. Williams simply continues to do that kind of work uh, covertly. Okay? But this is the kind of accommodationist older leadership that Ruggles and his uh, generation are, are, are fighting against. Okay? Now, did the riots cow uh, black abolitionists? Well, Ruggles then turns, turns around, open, closes his grocery shop, opens an anti-slavery bookstore, lending library okay, uh, downtown uh, at... Um, uh, of Church Street okay, at Lisbonard uh, as an open defiance of, of, of the rioters. Okay. And he begins to publish. This is one of the first pamphlets published by a black man in the United States. Note it's uh, sold by D. Ruggles Bookseller, 63 Lisbonard Street. He moves up and down Lisbonard Street uh, throughout this decade. Uh, People change their residence about every year on May Day, which is a famous moving day. David M. Reese, don't know much about him today, but he was a leading physician in New York City. He was the head of Bellevue. Okay. He's a very prominent figure. He'd written a pamphlet attacking the abolitionists um, and sold 25,000 copies. So, you know, this is somebody who has to be dealt with. Okay. Uh, and Ruggles responds with this pamphlet. Now, pamphlets are quick to produce, inexpensive can be mailed easily. Okay? And if you look at this, uh, sorry, uh, if you go back to that, this piece, we can get a couple of the themes. Here he, he confronts Reese directly about the issue of amalgamation. Okay? Uh, and when she talks about it, he doesn't know any black person or his acquaintance who wants it. Okay? Uh, but he denies that intermarriage between whites and blacks are unnatural. 
this is very strong, provocative, courageous stuff to say. Because the whole issue of intermarriage was a a flashpoint in American society really up at about the 1970s or so. Uh, but much more so then. This is the dividing point. If you wanted to win an argument against slave, about, about slavery, to mention that would be game, set, match. Okay. Um, and so he's here, he's refuting um, Reese's argument about, about mixed-race marriage. Okay. Um, and also refuting Reese's arguments about uh, blacks born in America, Okay, um, and would you be willing to marry a black wife? Okay. He basically is, is, is arguing with Reese. It's a very uh, interesting, uh, substantial thing for him to be doing against a person like Reese. Okay, so go back then to the slides. Okay. Um, and so he's broken into print. He's also writing a lot of letters to the editor. Okay. Uh, here's a second one here uh, that he does a few years later. So he's, he's publishing quite a few of these pamphlets. This one, however, which we now can bring up this one if we would, okay, the abrogation of the Seventh Commandment of the American churches. Again, you've got this. Or they will have it, right? It's on their wiki, yeah. Okay, it's on their wiki. Okay, um, and this is a fascinating document which I would re- relate to you with the women's movement. Okay, and he does so very directly. So, um, here he's talking about the whole issue of coveting thy neighbor's wife. Uh, and he argues that this is the kind of thing that women must be concerned about. Okay. Rather than being anxious about those instances of interracial love that one could find, for example, on the five points. I did a study a number of years ago about the five points and found that there were mixed race couples living like everybody else. Uh, on the streets of New York City, okay, working as carters, as seamen, um, lower middle class occupations, if you will, but living uh, as uh, decent uh, New Yorkers for, for, uh, without a- any anxieties. Okay. Rather, he says, look at the South, okay, and there we can find the multitudes of mixed people. Okay. It's in the South that really where the greatest amount of mixed race uh, sex is happening. And that colored females cannot offer any resistance to the attempts of their masters. Okay. So this is not really a, this is more. This is rape that's going on. Okay. Um, and this is a bribe for impur- impurity. Remember the anxieties about uh, prostitution. Literally, these masters are turning enslaved women into prostitutes. Okay. Uh, that. Um, that marriage is now being uh, affected. Okay? Uh, there are fathers, mothers, and children, but there are no families. Okay? And in the world of middle-class America, okay, the family is sacrosanct. Women are seen as vessels of moral purity whose mission in life is to raise young Republican with a small r, at least democratically-minded American sons. Okay? And that can't happen here. So, uh, what has to be done then is the churches must appertain the stigma and crime of having fostered and prolongated the curse of slavery, and it's ever eradicated. It must be achieved through gospel principles. Okay? Uh, and allowing these slaveholding ladies 
to come up. Because these same slaveholding ladies, he's arguing, are culpable in the rape of black women by their husbands, sons, brothers, fathers, uncles, etc. Okay, uh, that if it were publicly known in New England that women used the ordinary language by which only southern ladies apply their colored wenches, they would not be admitted to any members of a Christian church. Okay, and that they should be discarded as monsters. What is he saying here? He's saying that northern women should look at what their southern sisters are doing. By the way, during this time, uh, southerners routinely came to the north, especially in the summertime, but they came to New York City to shop, big surprise. Okay. Uh, they came to New York City for medical treatments, they came to do business, and they would bring their enslaved people with them. Okay. They would go to places like Northampton or Saratoga Springs um, to, for a vacation, saying, and when they come up, he's saying, make sure that, uh, that they hear about this and ultimately that they should be, uh, uh, should be shunned. Okay? And this is an old Quaker method. Okay? Um, that they are, uh, next, next page, inexcusably criminal. Oops. Uh, they are inexcusably criminal for the prolongation of this system. Okay? So these are the women who are doing terrible things. So what I'm telling you is that this is a... Uh, uh, a document which is quite important for, for understanding what Ruggles' thought is about this. Now, let me go forward as I'm going to... One of the biggest issues he had to deal with was kidnapping. Literally, this means that in the shadow of slavery's end in New York City in 1827, young blacks are being stolen from the streets. Arguably, uh, as, uh, as uh, identified as fugitive slaves, many of them simply innocent and being grabbed. So Ruggles and other men form the Committee of Vigilance to battle this. Okay? Uh, and this is a, an interracial group designed to effect this mighty revolution. Okay? To, yes, talk about the big themes, but also in their own individual spheres of action, prove themselves practical abolitionists. Okay? And this is an important term because it means you have to use common sense in fighting slavery. And this means stopping kidnapping of people of color in the streets of New York City, protecting self-emancipated slaves, and stopping the illegal visits of slave traders. There still are uh, Portuguese and Spanish slavers coming into New York City, refueling with slaves uh, en route to the South. Okay? And that we cannot recommend non-resistance to persons who are denied the protection of equitable law when their liberty is invaded and their lives endangered by avaricious kidnappers. Anyone, when pounced on by a kidnapper, may not only use words implying resistance, but resist even unto death. This is a substantial change from moral suasion. And it's being done in the churches, the meeting halls of lower Manhattan, okay, uh, where Ruggles is speaking out to ever larger groups, including many women whose sons and brothers have been stolen off into slavery. The heart wrenches at his words, and of course they would understand that. Okay? Um, he publishes The Mirror of Liberty, his own magazine, which serves as a second year's report on the uh, Committee of Vigilance. And he is himself engaged in fights. This is a, uh, an arrest warrant. Uh, he se uh, serves on a man named James D. Wilson. There's a story behind this press we can get in the Q&A, but I also want to take you notice of the, his autograph here. 
Okay, this is for the municipal archives. Um, I sent this out to a, a graphologist to have them uh, analyze it for me, and they came back and said he's clearly a very intelligent man. The uh, signature indicates a late 18th, early 19th century education, and also that he was very angry with his mother. Uh, <laughs> so maybe there's more truth to that than one thinks. Okay, um, now, one, of the, one of the reasons we know about Ruggles, of course, is because of Frederick Douglass's narrative. And this great American of the 19th century uh, comes to New York City on September 3rd, 1838. He's made his escape from Maryland, but he's broke, he's alone, he's frightened. Okay. He's not sure what to do. Other people tell him to get out of town as fast as possible. He knows there are a lot of kidnappers and slave agents around. So he's taken then to the home of David Ruggles, whose vigilance, kindness, and perseverance I shall never forget. Ruggles sought me out very kindly, took me to his boarding house at the corner of Church and Lispenard Street. He was involved in the Darg case. We'll talk about it in just a minute. This is from Ruggles' excuse me, from uh, Douglas's first narrative published in 1845, at a time when Douglas is still a fugitive slave. So naming Ruggles in this, at a time when he doesn't mention anybody else's name, it's quite clear that Ruggles gave him permission to do this because it names him as somebody that others would see as a criminal. Okay. What I argue with is that this instance of the Underground Railroad at work tells us not only about the passage of this famous, would-be famous American, Ruggles gives him a $5 bill and then a, um, uh, a letter of recommendation, but that the Underground Railroad, which has been seen not as very well organized, in fact, had a legitimate organization with a publication, fundraising methods, officers, okay, uh, and a clientele, which was very, uh, Ruggles says about 600 people passed through his house in several years, of one of whom was here is, 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 is Frederick Douglass. Okay. And so the Underground Railroad was very prominent there, and also that some of the most important impact upon Frederick Douglass comes from this black man, David Ruggles, something that previous biographers of Douglass have neglected to note. Okay. One of the things he's taught, he deals with is the Darg case, and this is a very interesting case. I'm just going to get through it quickly here. But take note on this. This is a case in which a man named uh, uh, Tom Hughes runs away from his master in New York. There's a master over here. Not only runs away, but also takes with him $10,000. Okay, so he's not only stealing himself, he's also stealing money. Okay. He gets in touch with these three men, Isaac Hopper, the great Quaker activist, Barney Court, the head of the New York Manumission Society's uh, moving committee, and then Ruggles it there in the middle. A couple things I want you to note about this. First of all, the argument here that uh, the Darg is making is the fact that these guys are extortionists. You know, they don't, they're willing to give back the money that hasn't been spent. He's gambled and spent some of the money, okay? Uh, but they're not willing to give it back the uh, back, back, back the enslaved person. So he regards them really as just the really petty extortionists. Um, I also want you to note Ruggles' clothing. This is one of the few extant uh, images, about the only extant image we have from his lifetime. Note he's very, very well dressed. There are numerous instances in the, his uh, letters there's descriptions of him about the way he, he dresses. He is, in short, a dandy. But whereas most dandies stand on the street corner and uh, simply admire themselves, 
This is a dandy that arrests slave traders, okay, who fights people in the streets, who fights people in the courts, in the, in the newspapers. I think he's somebody really in, can indicate for you a, an attractive activist uh, of this period. Okay, um, okay come on. Okay. Now, uh, in the next few months, Ruggles' time in New York City uh, declines. He gets engaged in a, a series of problematic uh, issues. He helps Charity Walker, a young woman, escape from a home in Brooklyn. And there, she, uh, in his house, she becomes pregnant. Uh, he, get, he loses in a libel case against a, a black man whom he's accused of harboring uh, 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 captured slaves. Uh, and also, he's not a very good accountant. So this is his last pamphlet in New York, a, a plea for a man and a brother. In which he makes an argument about why uh, he's innocent of all these charges. Ultimately, his poor health, he has worms, he's partly blind, okay, very, uh, drive him out of New York City. He then goes uh, on a tour helped by men like this, uh, by, uh, James Wright, okay, William C. Nell, and James W. C. Pennington, okay, uh, who support him and hold soirees for him throughout New England. And then ultimately, is attracted to uh, the Northampton Association for uh, Industry and Education, one of the communitarian associations that I've talked about, one which is founded heavily by abolitionists. This is Lydia Mariah Child, the editor of the National Anti-Slavery Standard, one of the first women to edit uh, a newspaper in America. Uh, there he helps out this woman, Sojourner Truth. Ruggles becomes more and more involved this is the uh, area of the Northampton, uh, Broughton's method, uh, Meadows just before the Northampton form, Association is formed. Okay. Uh, George Benson, brother-in-law of uh, William Garrison, uh, who was one of the founders. And then Ruggles opens after several years of going through hydrotherapy. And think about this as a method to reform medicine. Okay. Because Ruggles says, I've been cupped, leached, bled, given strychnine, given all kinds of uh, awful medicines. For him, it's water. The water cure helps. He's not alone on this. Okay? But he certainly is the only water cure operator who's also running the underground railroads uh, through his offices. He opens up a hospital. I think this is rather indicative. He's well-respected around the nation. Slave traders, slave masters come to him for help. John Brown's wife comes to him for help. Okay? And for several years, he operates successfully a hospital uh, for people seeking cures, particularly women, because the water cure is seen as one of the first gynecological methods. Okay? At a time when women are suffering uh, from a variety of ailments, uh, the water cure seems to be one of the better methods. Um, and it's there for the next few years that he also has meetings with, uh, with, with Douglas, uh, with the Hutchinson family singers, a lot of anti-slavery activity, underground activity going on. But uh, he supports uh, Douglas and the North Star, advertises in it, but ultimately his own health fails. And on uh, December 18th, 1849, he dies of a series of his ailments. Okay? Um, this is what he says. This is what Douglas says. Douglas keeps his memory alive. The first officer of the Underground Railroad with whom I met while reaching the North, and indeed the first of whom I had ever heard anything. Okay? So Douglas credits him for that. He dies just before the Compromise of 1850 in the Fugitive Slave Act. Dies just before the big slave rescue cases in Boston, Syracuse, Cincinnati, New York City, and other places. 
Okay, dies before the events of uh, the, the Kansas-Nebraska conflict, the Dred Scott decision, and John Brown. But he anticipates much of this in his actions and in his thoughts. And so I think Ruggles is a good way for you to think about, and I hope you, when you get the book, you look through it, about teaching your students about how at least one person can encapsulate a vast variety of reform measures, but principally the biggest issue in antebellum America, something we're still dealing with today, and that is slavery and its legacies. Thank you. I have one question since no one's volunteering. I'm just curious, when you say someone's a radical abolitionist, why mm. do you use that choice of words? Well, in a world, in a country in which there are a variety of gradual, argue, I mean, I mean, gradually ending slavery, Radical means ending slavery now without any compensation uh, to the masters. It also will encompass practical abolitionism, helping out fugitive slaves. This is, I'm telling you, the more I've been talking to a lot of people at conferences through the institute I just held, through my own research, more and more I become convinced that the whole issue of fugitive slaves is something that's paramount in American politics and society during the antebellum period. It's something that's driving the wedge between the two sections further and further apart. Okay? Uh, so that's really somebody who not only argues that slavery should be ended now without compensation, but a radical is also someone who's willing to embrace increasingly violent and confrontational methods to end it. Yes, ma'am. Um, he seems to a lot of, I don't know, like the, these businesses that he had. Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine just thinking they require quite a bit of money <laughs> to start. And I mean, especially the hospital and mm -hmm. this, all these endeavors. Like, where did they, how did he fund? He borrows money. Yeah. He borrows money from um, businessmen in Northampton, people who are sympathetic to anti slavery. Okay? Uh, but he pays it back. He. There, there's been some discussion. Nell Painter argues that he was probably bankrupt when he died. I've looked very closely at his accounts and also at his probate. Most of the debts that he had uh, were incurred during his last few months of life, for nurses particularly, and also for medicine. The hospital is, 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 is functioning. It's filled up when he has to you know, basically stop practice a few months before his death. Okay? Uh, so. He borrows money from people who clear. These are not people just giving money away. They saw him as a solid investment. Water cure is a number of these kind of establishments up in New England taking advantage of the pure water. Uh, people desire for some kind of medical relief. Uh, his is one of a number, which seems to be a good bet for someone who is willing to invest their money. So that's what he does. Earlier, it's pretty plain that uh, the Tappans fund him, especially the publication of his pamphlets. Okay? And that's just part of their uh, support for the movement. Yeah. But later on, I, I think, yeah, he is, he's running a, uh, a pretty good business. Yes? In the description that Frederick Douglass gives that you showed, it said that when he went to his house that Ruggles was already Talk a little bit about his blindness and how that happened and if it was, how it affected him. 
his blindness curtails, or excuse me, hampers his career. Why he became blind, I'm not sure. I, I, I think it would probably be associated with his poverty. Okay. Uh, he su- and also from the violence he suffers from getting beaten up by uh, kidnappers, thrown in jail, standing there for several days. And he has a tough physical life. Uh, exactly why he becomes blind is not clear. But it's something that he tries to cure through a number of different means. He even talks about going to Paris at one point, visit doctors there. Ultimately, he settles on the water cure. He never really does regain his sight. So most of the letters he writes to the editor, uh, and I didn't talk about this sufficiently before, letters to the editor, as they are right now, these are clear individual statements, and they are to be valued. But he has an amanuensis who writes them. Usually a young woman from uh, one of the families living in the, the, the community. He becomes very closely associated with them. Uh, but yeah, he stays blind for us. It means that it's going to keep him from doing the kind of canvassing that Frederick Douglass will do, or that he had done, that Ruggles had done earlier in his career. Other questions? Yeah. Um, I know one of the challenges of researching the Underground Railroad is that a lot is obviously not written down because you would keep track of yeah. little activities. Um, and Frederick Douglass can obviously write about Ruggles in 1855 because he's been dead for six years. He writes about him in 1845, too. Um, so he writes about him while he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering about that, like where sources that you found in your research and, and um, whether there are some surprises, whether there, that things are written down that you wouldn't expect to be, or... And what, what did he write about in the 45? Well, simply, that was, that was a quote that I gave you before about how he had, uh, you know, gone to, the Ruggles had taken him to his house. So, I mean, that's, that, that, that's where, uh, that's, what, I'm, what I argue with is that is where Frederick Doug, John Bailey becomes an abolitionist. It's right in that house because so many things are going on there. You know, you have the reading room, you have the dark case, you have people coming and going. Douglas, you know, can suddenly see anti-slavery and abolitionism at work, the Underground Railroad at work. Okay. Now, back to your question about sources. Um, we're in a building here that has fabulous sources for this uh, and for other black abolitionists because of the databases we have upstairs. Originally, I had to go through all this stuff in microfilm reels up at the American Antiquarian Society. Now you can go upstairs, put the name David Ruggles in the search engine of America's historic newspapers and come up 120 different items just like that. It's remarkable. And there's more and more of that kind of stuff coming online. Um, so, plus he has his various pamphlets. Okay? Um, his, uh, you know, there are, there are also, if you look at UNC South slave narratives, you can see not just Douglas, but other former fugitives who have written about him, Ward, uh, James Green, and others. Write about how being helped by him. So it's not as hard as it was 10 years ago. We actually had to physically go through all the newspapers. Now you don't, but at the same time, you have to go through those newspapers yourselves to get context. So I think finding the individual bits of evidence is increasingly easy, but actually understanding the context in which he's operating, the other people he's working with, that takes more work. This is obviously a really explicit reference. It says Ruggles is, a, is an officer in the Underground Railroad. Yeah. Um, when you don't have such an explicit reference in terms of finding out who... All right, here's something for you. This is the, the kind of thing you learn at these institutes. I brought in a guy named Reinhard Johnson. 
uh, who um, wrote a book called The Liberty Party. The Liberty Party, of course, is the major political movement against slavery in the 1840s. And he made a statement which I think is worth testing. He said, if you find someone who's involved in the Liberty Party, the odds are you found somebody who's involved in the Underground Railroad. One of the things I neglected to mention because I was trying to speed up a little bit uh, was that Ruggles attends a convention of, uh, of the New York State, first New York anti-slavery state uh, convention in Utica in 1835. This was mobbed. People moved down to uh, Peterborough where Garrett Smith lives. And there's a long list of these people who attend the con- uh, this conference in 1835. These are the same kind of people that Ruggles mentions as subscribers to the Mirror of Liberty. Okay. People who are engaged as what I'm suggesting to you is by taking those names and again running them through the newspapers, running them through the census reports, running them through all those county histories, those big fat volumes that exist for every county it seems in the United States, okay, you're going to come up with a lot broader cross-section of the Underground Railroad than we previously understood. The, the, the research, the Siebert research on the Underground Railroad in the late 1890s is, is pretty interesting for whites. But now with the black abolitionist newspapers, uh, the, uh, the accessible archives, we now know a lot more about blacks who are fighting against slavery, and there are a lot of them. I'll tell you an interesting place to look. If we want, you know, Ruggles has been largely forgotten, except for Frederick Douglass. And the other interesting place, which again you can find upstairs, uh, is to go through accessible archives and look for the 20th century for mentions of David Ruggles, and almost every one of them will be from the black newspapers. Pittsburgh Courier, Amsterdam News, okay, uh, etc. They're the ones who keep the message alive about this man. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't want to uh, minimize my efforts on this. It, it took a lot of work. But it's possible. And so I think that as far as the Underground Railroad... I think that we're going to learn a lot, lot more about it in the next few years, especially as we think about it nationally. One of the interesting books we learned about in my institute was by Stacy Robertson about Western females. And Western white and black women were very involved in anti-slavery movements and in the free produce movement. So, you know, we're beginning to dig it. We have to think expansively about this. uh, and use those connections, it will work out. Thank you.